Well, good morning to you. It's a miracle that we have people here today uh, on a weekend when 45 or so of our women are away at a women's retreat. Uh, I did not know what to expect. I thought I might be preaching to Thomas this morning, but uh, it's, it's good. I know he would have loved to just hear from me alone, but uh, uh, thankful there's more of you here uh, today. Our sermon text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to be reading today verses 6 through 25, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 6. Uh, This letter here was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this to a church that he had started in Corinth in Greece, a church that was now having some problems, and so Paul wrote this letter to them. We'll read in just a second here in verse 6. Let's pray before we read. Well, Father, we believe when we gather together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are meeting with the living God. Jesus, you said wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So we believe, Lord Jesus, our Savior, our God, that you are here. That we are here today to engage with the living God, not a dead God. A living God, and in and through the Holy Spirit, we can experience you today, Father, as we join with one another. We believe as we open up your scriptures, by the power of the Spirit, we can experience the living God. Taste and see that I am good, your word says. So, Father, I just ask now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to taste and see that you are good. In the name of Jesus, amen. Starting in verse 6. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers... But for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen. You know, the spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about, the, 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 the spiritual gift of tongues is probably one of the most misunderstood and most abused of all the spiritual gifts. You know, on one end of the spectrum, in some Christian circles, the gift of tongues is viewed as the norm. And if you don't speak in tongues, well, you may not be a Christian at all because all true Christians, they believe, speak in tongues. But on the other end of the spectrum, other Christian circles, people who claim to speak in tongues are mocked, belittled. They think you might be demon-possessed. Sam Storms was raised in a church like that. He said this. He said, I was raised in a tradition that viewed speaking in tongues as barely a notch above snake handling. Ignorant and undignified people spoke in tongues, probably with eyes rolled back in their sockets while on the verge of something akin to an epileptic seizure. Or so I was led to believe. Just one of the most misunderstood and misused and misabused of all of the spiritual gifts, this gift of tongues. And it's likely if you've been around Christianity very long at all, you've experienced some abuse with that gift of tongues. And that abuse can make you want to get rid of the gift of tongues altogether, I know from personal experience. But... According to the Bible, this gift of tongues is a good spiritual gift. But the all-important key, as with any of the spiritual gifts, we need a biblical understanding. We need a biblical practice of this gift of tongues. And the good news is that God has instructed us concerning this gift of tongues right here in 1 Corinthians 14. We are nearing the end now of a series I've been preaching on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ in faith and you start to follow Christ in your life, the Bible says the Holy Spirit has now taken up residence in you. And the Holy Spirit in you now begins to empower you. Different spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit now works in you. But it is very easy for Christians to misunderstand and to misuse their spiritual gifts, including this gift of tongues. And that, it seems, was what was happening back in Corinth in Paul's day. The Spirit had sovereignly given to some Christians there in Corinth this gift of tongues, but they didn't understand the gift very well, and they were not practicing that gift of tongues in healthy ways. They were not practicing it in love for the other believers in their church. One of the reasons Paul wrote chapter 13, an entire chapter where Paul tells us to use all of our spiritual gifts in love for other people. And in chapter 14 now, Paul gives specific biblical teaching on this gift of tongues. And Paul's primary concern here in this chapter is with how this gift is used when the church is gathered. In meetings like this here today, or in prayer meetings, or in our life group meetings, how then should we exercise this gift of tongues? Paul says, 
three things here about tongues in the corporate gatherings of the church. The three points we'll cover this morning. Here they are on the screen. Paul's three points, I believe. One, uninterpreted tongues do not benefit others. Two, so pray that you might interpret the tongues. And three, earnestly desire to prophesy. And the first thing Paul says here, point number one, uninterpreted tongues do not benefit others when the church is gathered. If you look again at verse six, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? The gift of tongues, or more literally, the gift of languages, I've described it in the past, it is simply a spirit-empowered ability to speak in a language that you don't know. Holy Spirit empowering you to speak in a language you don't know. God in the Bible once made a donkey speak. Balaam's donkey. And listen to me. If God can make a donkey speak Hebrew then God can empower you to speak in a language that you don't know. And that is this gift of languages. A spirit-empowered ability to speak in a language you don't know. It may be a foreign human language that you can suddenly speak, or could be a foreign angelic language, tongues of angels, as chapter 13 said. But listen, it really doesn't matter what kind of language you're speaking, because here in chapter 14, Paul says that no one in the church can understand the language, neither the hearers nor the speaker. No one understands the language. If you'll look in your Bible up at verse 2, or you can look on the screen here, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. The reason this gift of tongues must be interpreted in the church, because nobody gets it. And Paul makes it clear here in chapter 14 that these unknown languages that the Spirit might empower a Christian to speak, they are forms of prayer or praise to God. We just saw there in verse 2 that tongues are spoken to God vertically. And in verses 14 to 16, we just read, Paul talks about praying in a tongue. He talks about praying in the Spirit. He talks about giving thanks In the Spirit, all of those things going vertically to God. So D.A. Carson says this. He says, in other words, speaking in tongues is a form of prayer or praise to God. And here's the thing. Even though no one, Paul says, understands the language, even the speaker, the speaker is still edified, still built up in his or her spirit. If you look up at verse 4. Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue, even though he doesn't understand the language, builds up himself. Your mind unfruitful, as verse 14 says, but your spirit still edified. And this gift of tongues then, please hear me, this is a good spiritual gift. If you look at verse 18 again, what Paul said, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Because it's good. So he thanks God for it. Or verse 5. He says, now I want you all 
to speak in tongues. That was Paul's desire for all the Corinthians. That would be Paul's desire for every Christian here, that all would speak in tongues. Now, all won't. Paul's very clear here. But his desire is that all would. Why? Because it's a very good spiritual gift. Form of prayer or praise that edifies the speaker, even though the speaker doesn't understand the language. And God tells us all through these chapters that we as Christians, we must earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And that includes all of the spiritual gifts, including this gift of languages. God wants you to earnestly desire this gift of tongues. So let me encourage you, Christian, to earnestly desire this gift. Let me encourage you to pray for this gift, that when you have it by the Spirit and you pray, it will edify your spirit. Encourage you to pray for it. But here's the thing. Paul was concerned in these chapters with the way the Corinthians were misusing this good gift when the church was gathered in their meetings. Now, here's the thing. God gives us all kinds of good gifts in this life, doesn't he? I mean, all kinds of good gifts. He's given us the gift of marriage. He's given us the gift of food. He's given us the gift of wine and of sex. But with all of God's good gifts, we can misuse those good gifts. And that's the way it goes with the God's good spiritual gifts, including the gift of tongues. It's a good gift. Paul is very clear about that. But this gift of tongues can be misused. And one way the Corinthians were misusing it, well, it seems that in their gatherings together, they were speaking out loud in tongues with no interpretation of those tongues. And the other believers there then couldn't understand what was being said, and those other believers then were not being built up by those unknown languages. The speaker in those gatherings was being built up by speaking these unknown languages, but no one else in the church was being built up by those tongues when they weren't interpreted. And as we saw last week, first part of chapter 14, one of God's chief concerns, whenever his people are gathered, one of God's chief concerns, God wants us to build up one another. Not just build up ourselves around other believers, but build up other believers. And uninterpreted tongues, they do not build up other believers. Look at verse 6 again. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And the idea there is very simple. If I come to you today as a preacher and I speak just in some language that you don't know, I speak in Latin, for those of you who don't know Latin, or I speak just in this gift of tongues, Without it being interpreted, it's a language that you don't know. How will that benefit you? It will not. It will not benefit you. You will sit there like a bump on a pickle, thinking, what is this guy doing? It won't benefit you. Because it won't be intelligible to you. And God says clearly in this chapter, that if we want to build up one another, that requires intelligibility. We must understand one another. We must speak in languages that other believers around us can comprehend. 
So, I can't just speak to you today in uninterpreted tongues. But I must, Paul says, bring you some revelation, some knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And I think Paul is simply saying there, I must bring you something in our common language. Something that the Spirit has revealed to me through Scripture or through prophecy or through a word of knowledge as we saw 1 Corinthians 12 or some teaching. But it is something spoken to you in a language that you can understand, which in our case would be in English. D.A. Carson, he says this, he says, the point is clear. Edification or building up others demands intelligible content And tongues, uninterpreted tongues, by themselves cannot provide intelligible content that would edify or build up other believers. And Paul here, after making this point, he gives a couple illustrations just to kind of hammer this point home. He talks about instruments. In verse 7, he talks about a flute or a harp. If those instruments don't give distinct notes... Who will know the song? If all the players up here today just played whatever they randomly wanted to play, who can follow the tune? It's just meaningless noise. My older kids entered a new school middle of last year, and one of my daughters was placed in an orchestra class. Uh, She had never been in one before. And, And the first day of class, because it was the middle of the year, they just asked her to sit and listen to the orchestra. And she came home later and she said, I just expected this beautiful sound. And the teacher raised her baton and then it was nothing but And she fondly then nicknamed her new orchestra the Hump-A-Jump Band. And uh, we fondly called it that the rest of the year. Not a distinct sound. Meaningless noise for the most part. Or verse 8, Paul says you blow a bugle. Well, that was the way they called armies to war back then, with a distinct bugle call. But Paul says you blow it indistinctly. So blurred, confused notes, who will get ready for battle? Your army will be devastated. It has to be distinct so people understand the meaning. And without it, it's just meaningless noise. And Paul then applies that to uninterpreted tongues in the gathered church. If you look at verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. If no one in the room knows what a person speaking in tongues is saying, it's not interpreted, it's a foreign language. A person's a foreigner to you, you're a foreigner to that person. The speaker is edified in his or her spirit, but no one else is edified. And that's Paul's first point. When the church is gathered, uninterpreted tongues do not benefit other people. And point number two then, so pray that you might interpret the tongues. I know, I know a lot of you have probably been in a foreign country, 
can be just a very surreal experience to be in this country and everyone around you is speaking these syllables that you don't understand. And you just feel incredibly lonely. You're just dying for a translator to actually translate so you know what's happening around you. There could be a fire right behind you. You would not know. It, you need a translator. And the amazing thing is that these unknown languages that the Holy Spirit can empower a Christian to speak, well, these languages, they can be translated by the Holy Spirit. And if the tongues are spoken out loud when the church is gathered, Paul says here, they must always be translated so that other people can benefit. If you look at verse 12. So with yourselves, since you Corinthians, you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough in the spirit, but the other person is not being built up. So Christians, when we are gathered in any way, as a local church, verse 12 says, we must always strive to excel in building up the church. Not just looking to build up myself when I'm around you, but looking to build up one another. We must strive to build up one another. The Greek word means we must seek or we must desire. We must devote serious effort to excelling, to going above and beyond the call of duty in building up the church. And what does that mean for this gift of tongues when we're together? Well, look at verse 13 again. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If, if when we are gathered in some way, if the Spirit is truly empowering you to speak in an unknown language, well, the Spirit can interpret can translate that language for you so that you don't then just speak in this unknown language out loud edifying nobody but yourself, but you also give the interpretation in English, which then would edify other people. And listen, God has now given us just very general guidelines for this gift of tongues when we are gathered together in any way. If you think that the Holy Spirit has given you this gift of, of languages and, and you sense at some point around other believers that the Spirit is moving you to speak in tongues, well, great. But before you just speak out in that unknown language, Paul says here, you pray that you might have the interpretation, and then you speak in tongues and you give the interpretation, the meaning, so that others around you might be edified. Paul says, verse 15, what am I to do? 
Meaning, I think, what am I to do if I want to speak in tongues in a gathered meeting? I must first pray for the interpretation. Paul says, and then, verse 15, I will pray with my spirit in tongues, but also then pray in my mind in English, giving the interpretation. Or verse 15, I will sing praise with my spirit in tongues, but also then sing praise with my mind, Paul says, in English, giving the interpretation so that other people can understand. And when tongues are practiced like that in a gathered meeting, it's then not just the speaker that is edified, but other people. Or let's say that a person does in a meeting just pray out loud in tongues with with no interpretation. That might happen on, on occasion. What do you do? Somebody calls out in a gathering meeting of the church of some sort in tongues, but that person has not prayed, has not given the interpretation, or doesn't think they have an interpretation. You don't just stone the person at all. We want to love. We want to love. And what we would do is we would wait. And we would then pray as a group that the Lord would give someone there an interpretation of the tongues that were just spoken. Look at verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. And listen, if you find on that occasion that there's no one there with the gift of interpretation, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, there's no one there who can actually interpret those tongues, well, look at verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret in the gathered meeting, let each of the tongue speakers keep silent in a church and speak to himself and to God. So if there's nobody there to interpret in that prayer meeting, whatever it is, just politely then ask the tongue speakers to keep their tongues to themselves and pray only to themselves and To God, edifying themselves privately, not publicly. And you you can see here, you can just see here God's concern that when the church is gathered, there must be intelligibility. We must understand one another. So if there is is something in tongues that must be interpreted, the meaning given in English so that that person is understood. Paul said, you might be giving thanks well enough in the Spirit, but if the other person doesn't understand, how can they say amen? They're not edified by anything that person just prayed in tongues. There must be intelligibility so everyone can be built up. Look at how Paul ends this section in verse 18. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, in a gathered meeting of the church, around other believers in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in a language that all can understand in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue, that is, in uninterpreted tongues. Now, if Paul loved that he thanked, that he prayed in tongues more than all people, But he indicates there that in the gathered church, he would rarely, if ever, pray in tongues. Where did he pray in tongues? Privately. By himself. It's a very clear indication that Paul prayed most of the time in his tongues, silently by himself to God, as he just said. 
And that's Paul's second point now. One, uninterpreted tongues do not benefit others in the gathered church. And two, so pray that you might interpret the tongues. And Paul's last point then, a point he's made all the way through these chapters. Point number three, earnestly desire to prophesy. Because when the church is gathered, prophecy is way better than uninterpreted tongues because prophecy always builds up other people. Paul here, the last part of this passage, he, he begins to compare now these uninterpreted tongues that were taking place in Corinth, and he compares that to prophecy, like he's already done several times here. And listen, Paul starts here in this last section, he starts by absolutely blasting this practice of uninterpreted tongues in the gathered meeting. Paul blasts that practice here. If you look at verse 20, he now says brothers, the Greek word there can be brothers and sisters, like today we would say men can mean men and women. Brothers, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Christians, when it comes to doing evil, be childlike. Be infants. <laughs> be innocent. Do not be mature in doing evil. But in your thinking, in how you practice the spiritual gifts, do not be childish. Do not be immature. Be mature in your thinking as to how you practice these spiritual gifts. And you know what Paul then basically says here in the next couple verses? Uninterpreted tongues when the church is gathered, very childish. Uninterpreted tongues when the church is gathered, very childish. Very immature thinking for believers. Paul quotes now from this Old Testament text. If you look at verse 21. He says in the law. He's talking the Old Testament. In the law it is written. By people of strange tongues. And by the lips of foreigners. Will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me. Says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign. Not for believers. But for unbelievers. And listen. Notoriously difficult to know exactly what Paul's saying through this latter part of the passage here, but the basic idea is pretty clear. Paul just quoted from Isaiah 28. And at that time in history, Isaiah 28, Israel was sinning against God, walking in unbelief. Many Jews at that time, with no real faith in God at all, unbelievers. And God was saying there, Isaiah 28, that he was now going to bring judgment on Israel. And what would God's judgment be now upon Israel? He'd now speak to Israel in a language they could not understand. He would now bring a foreign nation against Israel, the Assyrians. 
And God said there, Isaiah 28, he would now speak to disobedient, unbelieving Israel through the Assyrians, a language they could not understand. By this people of strange tongues, by the lips of these foreigners, I will now speak to my people. And God was speaking to his people then in this unknown tongue. And that unknown tongue spoken to his people, Isaiah 28 It was a sign of God's judgment against them. It was a sign that God saw them, to a large degree, as unbelievers. A sign that God had temporarily forsaken them. He would no longer speak to them in a language they could understand. D.A. Carson says this, In the context of Isaiah 28, The strange tongues of foreigners, the Assyrian troops, those strange tongues represent God's visitation and judgment on his people. They had refused to listen to him and repent when he spoke clearly. Now he will visit them through invading hordes by whom he will speak in a language, Assyrian, whose content they will not understand. And the strange tongues served back there, Isaiah 28, as a sign, a negative sign of God's judgment. And listen to me, please. Paul now connects that to this situation in Corinth. The Corinthians were boasting in their uninterpreted tongues, in their meetings, thinking that it was a good thing. It was a sign that they were strong believers, that they were deeply spiritual people. Look at how God speaks through us and to us in our meetings in all these strange languages. And Paul says here, that is a childish, immature way of thinking. Contrary to all of Scripture, God speaking to His gathered people in strange languages that are not interpreted, that nobody ever understands, that is not a good sign. That is not a good sign. That has always been a sign of God's judgment. A sign that God sees these people not as strong believers, but as hard-hearted unbelievers. A sign that God has forsaken them. He will no longer speak to them in ways that they understand. Paul says there now, connecting this to tongues, verse 22, thus tongues, Corinthians, these uninterpreted tongues in your meetings... That is not a sign for believers. That is not a sign that you people are believers. No, that's a sign for unbelievers. A sign that people are walking in so much hard-hearted unbelief that God will no longer speak to them clearly. These uninterpreted tongues in your meetings, Corinthians, very childish way to think and act contrary to the principles in Scripture. And please hear me, there are many churches today who desperately need to hear that. Many churches today allow people to speak out in loud, apparent tongues with no interpretation, thinking that it's a sign of maturity, deep spirituality, they are very strong believers, but Paul just said that is very childish. An immature way to think and act does not accord with Scripture. Now, now what does that mean? 
does that mean then that we get rid of the gift of tongues altogether? Not at all. Paul has been very clear here. Tongues, even when they are not interpreted, they are edifying to the speaker. They are good. It is a good gift. We should earnestly desire that good gift of tongues. But, Paul is also clear. Any tongues spoken out loud in gathered meetings within the church, they must always be interpreted so people can understand. And if they are not, it is not a mark of that church's maturity. It is a mark of childish immaturity. And we need to hear that. And listen, when the tongues are interpreted so people can understand, that is a good sign. That is a good sign that God is speaking to His people in a language they can understand. That is a sign for believers. That is a sign that God truly sees you as believers. And that's why Paul makes one more plea here for the gift of prophecy when the church is gathered. If you look at verse 22 again. Thus tongues, and he's talking uninterpreted tongues, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. They are a sign that God sees you as hard-hearted unbelievers. He's not speaking to you in clear language anymore. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Here it is. If you prophesy in your meetings, now that is a sign that God sees you as believers. That's a sign that God's favor is upon you, that God is truly among you because prophecy is spoken in a language that people can understand. Prophecy, as I've described in the series, prophecy is, is, is something, anything the Holy Spirit spontaneously would bring to a Christian's mind, something the, the, the Spirit would spontaneously kind of impress on a Christian's heart, your consciousness, and maybe a word. It, it could be a picture or a dream or a vision. The Spirit spontaneously revealing something to you that you then share with other people in your church family, a prophetic word. And the big difference between prophecy and uninterpreted tongues in a gathered meeting intelligibility. Prophecy is spoken to people in our own language. A sign for believers. A sign that God is treating us as believers. God's favor is upon us because God is speaking to us in a language we can understand. A sign that God is truly among us. So Paul said up in verse 5 that when the church is gathered, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he said someone interprets those tongues. But otherwise, prophecy is way better than uninterpreted tongues. And actually, the uninterpreted tongues should not be happening. And Paul then finishes this passage by showing now how these two different things 
uninterpreted tongues and prophecy, he now shows how these two things will land on non-Christians who enter our gatherings. If you look at verse 23, he says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all hypothetically speak in tongues, these uninterpreted tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers, non-Christians enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? And that's exactly what happens. Unbelievers come into a church gathering like that, hear all these uninterpreted tongues, and they instantly say, you're out of your mind. And listen, it's pretty simple. Non-Christians enter and they hear these strange languages, and once again, that is a sign that God has turned against those people. That God will not speak to them in a language they can understand. It is a sign, those uninterpreted languages around unbelievers, it is a sign that God has forsaken them to the utmost. He will not speak clearly to them. He will not speak the gospel clearly to them in a language they can understand. That is a sign that these people are so hard-hearted, God will not speak to them. His wrath upon them so severely He won't proclaim the gospel to them in a way they'll understand. When an unbeliever, a non-Christian, walks into a gathering and all they hear is these uninterpreted tongues, it's a sign that God has closed the door of salvation to them. There is no hope for them. That's the sign, the message that is going out to unbelievers. They will hear, Paul says, all these uninterpreted tongues in the church gathering and think you guys are crazy out of your minds and they will walk away. No chance to hear the gospel clearly and be saved. Not a good thing for the body of Christ to do. That is not sending non-Christians the right message. Now, there will be a day in the future There will be a day in the future for for non-Christians. If a non-Christian continues to harden himself against Christ, God might at some point in this life stop speaking the gospel message of Christ to that person. It's over. The door of salvation has been closed for that person. God decides that. But until that day comes... God draws non-Christians to the gospel. God wants the gospel to be preached clearly so that they can understand and repent. And if all they hear in a gathered meeting of the church is just all these strange languages, foreign tongues, it's a sign that God has already closed the door on them. They think the church is crazy. They walk. No hope. And listen, that is what happens in these churches that allow tongues to be spoken out loud with no interpretation. A church gathering like that, you're you're not being sensitive to the lost around you. And it's an unbiblical practice. And non-Christians come in, they hear the uninterpreted tongues, no explanation, no interpretation. They think you're crazy and they walk away. Not the message God wants us as a church to send to non-Christians that they are so far beyond any hope that God will no longer speak to them in a language they understand. No, uh, it's just another reason right there why everything we do in our meetings must be intelligible. You've probably noticed that almost every time when I preach and I say the word gospel, I give a little description of it. 
I say the gospel, the glorious message, what God has done through Jesus to save sinners. Why do I do that? Being sensitive to non-Christians who would come in and they don't know what gospel means. Everything we do, we must explain it. We must be intelligible. Use language that both believers and unbelievers can understand. If it's not intelligible, we're sending the wrong message to both believers and unbelievers. When you speak in intelligible language and non-Christians are there, you're, you're saying to them, the door is still open to you. God is still speaking to you in words that you can understand, turn from your sin, trust in Christ, and be saved. So Paul says here, when it comes to non-Christians in our gatherings, compared to these uninterpreted tongues, prophecy is way better. Now, Paul just said that if all in our church speak in these uninterpreted tongues, non-Christians will think we're crazy, they'll walk away, but then look at verse 24. But if all hypothetically in our church prophesy, and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If we prophesy in our gathered meetings, the Spirit spontaneously bringing things to our minds, words, or pictures, or a dream you had last night, and we share those things in a language that everyone can understand. Now that is an entirely different ballgame for a non-Christian who might come into one of our gatherings. Paul says that now they won't walk away thinking you're crazy. Now they will be convicted. Called to account by those prophecies, the secrets of their hearts disclosed and falling on their faces, they will worship and declare, God is really among you. God is really here. God is really speaking because he's speaking in a language I can understand. And the bottom line here then, final thing Paul is saying here in point number three Whenever the church is gathered here or prayer meeting or a life group meetings, one, uninterpreted tongues do not benefit others. So, two, pray that you might interpret the tongues if you're going to share those tongues so you can give the tongues and the interpretation. But three, even more so earnestly desire that you might prophesy. It's been what Paul's been saying all through these chapters. Look up at verse one. We saw this last week. Paul says this, pursue love, Christians, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, all the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy when the church is gathered. And why? Look at verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater, the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, once more, Christ Redeemer Church, let me, let me just encourage all of us, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts earnestly desire all of the spiritual gifts, even this gift of tongues, because it is a good gift. But when we are together in any way, tongues must always be interpreted. So let's pray for the interpretation and even more. Let's earnestly desire to prophesy in order that others might always be built up, edified in all our gatherings of a church. So, I don't know if you're tracking with us in the series. Last week and today, we've now received some, from God some very general biblical guidelines as to how we should practice both prophecy and tongues 
in our gathered meetings. And we're going to start talking next Sunday then as we end this series and we'll keep talking in the following weeks and months about some of the more specific guidelines that we will follow here in our Christ Redeemer church family when we practice these and other spiritual gifts. The elders have have taken these general guidelines that God has given us in His Word, and we are putting together some specific guidelines for our church in our context, how we might practice the spiritual gifts in our service or our prayer meetings, our life group meetings, and we'll begin to share those with you next week and in the weeks to come. And we will also, at some point, Lord willing, we will get you some specific guidelines in writing because we want to earnestly desire all the spiritual gifts. We want to practice those gifts as God would give them to us. But listen, we just want to practice them in love, and we want to practice them biblically as God has instructed us here in this word. And we're going to encourage people to use the gifts. You know, we want to lean in the direction of trying. And so we're not going to stone people if we miss it, and we will. We're not going to stone people. We'll encourage people in love to step out. Grace gives you the freedom to try, to try. And we'll just keep uh, reminding all of our church of the guidelines as we go. Gently, compassionately and trust that God will bless us in and through these manifestations of the Spirit. So, well, we bless you, Lord God. We thank you that in your word, you do give us these, uh, you give us these um, rails, these, these, these boundaries that keep us safe. We thank you, Father, that uh, uh, you don't look at us and say, oh, you've gotten out of control at times. I'm removing all the spiritual gifts. No, you just keep reminding us of the boundaries, of the guidelines, of the really big field, the good field in which we can play as your believers, using the spiritual gifts, and then you caution us not to move over those boundaries. So Father, help us as a church. ask that you would move, Lord, your spirit in our hearts as a church, you'd encourage us. Uh, Lord, we would pray for many manifestations of your spirit. I would Pray for our church that we would not be controlled by fear when it comes to spiritual gifts. Fear that would just uh, uh, lock us down. This controlling fear, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. And I pray, Father, we could hear that. And within the good boundaries you've given us, Lord, we could experiment, we could try, we could practice. Father, we could learn like little children. We don't walk perfectly instantly. Take some steps and fall down, but you pick us up, and you applaud that we even took a step, and you encourage us to take two steps and three steps. So, Father, I thank you. That's your care for us as a body, as we step out in these spiritual gifts. You, 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 don't, um, you don't beat us when we miss it and fall down trying to take our first step. You just keep encouraging us, lifting us up, and beckoning us on, encouraging us, Lord, to take more and more steps. So we would say yes to you and to your spirit, Father, and just pray that you would bless us in and through Christ Jesus, in and through your spirit, for your glory and for our eternal good. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.